0: Welcome to the Show Me Institute Podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by Jacob Puckett, David Stokes, and Mike McShane from Show Me Institute. Mike, this week at showmeinstitute.org, you had a piece up about Illinois and some pension problems. What's going on? Well, I have to tell you,
1: I'm a little bit salty about the great state of Illinois. I did some driving this summer and ended up on a couple of toll roads, which uh, Jacob knows well. Um, And I was amazed that for as dysfunctional of a state as the land of Lincoln is, they had shut down a couple of the toll plazas and whatever, and I drove through them, they were able to track me down with a bill for the missed tolls in like 10 days, some crazy thing, and to know what a mess that state is related to everything, I was like, of course, this is the one thing that you can do well, but one thing that they can't do well is manage their pensions. And there was a report from our um, our friends over at Illinois Policy. I think it, I think the report came out last week where they were just looking into um, how much uh, the state of Illinois spends servicing their pensions. And they found that for the 2021-22 school year, 39% of education dollars will be spent on pensions. And to put that in like some perspective, education and spe- education spending in Illinois since the year 2000 has grown about 17%, which is like pretty normal for most states around the country. But teacher and administrator pension costs have grown 458% over this time period. And so I think We're sort of lucky in Missouri to have this train wreck happening right across the river from us that we can look over and say, this is what happens when you don't manage your pensions well, when you don't make the necessary contributions, when you make assumptions that are way too rosy about what they're going to be able to do. Um, And so we should look over there and sort of feel sorry for our neighbors, but also say we shouldn't make the same mistakes that they
0: are. So how does Missouri stack up against Illinois right now? What's what's our status? So Missouri's not as bad. Um, sort of. I'm trying to think of like a
1: other than that Mrs. Lincoln. How was the play? Sort of vibe here, which is like I mean Illinois is historically I think with Rhode Island. I want to say Kentucky. A couple of these other states that are like perennially in the basement. There was a report that came out this week from a was it Truth and Accounting. It said it's around. I mean, I think they gave Missouri like a C on it, ranked about in the middle of the country. So we're not doing great with respect to how much we funded our pensions, with how well we're managing them. We're not the worst, but we could definitely be doing better.
0: David, uh, in the report that Mike references, there's a municipality in Rock Island, 90 percent of their property taxes are going to pensions. Uh, when we look around in Missouri and you talk all the time about taxation and how it's supposed to fund public goods, what do you think of when you hear of a, a municipality with 90% of one of their streams of
2: revenue going to service pensions? Well, it's, it's just insane. And I hadn't read that, but it's, it's incredible. I presume that's all pensions, teacher, fireman, police, all public employees. But just—I mean, it's just astonishing. And if I was a citizen... Of Rock Island, paying Illinois' high real estate property taxes, and realizing that it wasn't going to services, it was going to pay people who used to provide services in that city. Uh, I'd be I'd be just infuriated. I I don't know of anything in St. Louis even close to that, but it does it does remind me of a, a decade or so ago, a little longer when the Slay administration in the city of St. Louis was really fighting hard to rein in the the firemen's pension in the city of St. Louis which itself was was growing out of out of control and they were able to make some changes to it just require a, a little bit higher contribution from the from the employees make promises of a little lower in the future you know cuts to future firemen all the all the things you do on the edges that can in the long run make make major changes. And that was really one of the major accomplishments of the Slade administration in St. Louis. But now, now, just in this past year, they, they passed a bill to rescind many of those changes. I'm sorry, it was passed, but the mayor, Mayor Crewson, vetoed it. And thankfully, her veto was upheld. You know, they never, these public employee groups, they never stop. Like, they've got people on the payroll whose whole job is to watch their pensions and look for every opportunity to expand it, protect it. I use air quotes around the word protect it. And because and that's, that's their goal, to expand that pension to as large as you can make it. And the people of Rock Island paying 90% of their taxes to pensions is uh, uh, incredible and appalling, but a direction in which more places seem to be headed.
0: Mike, you were a teacher What was the conversation like around pensions, that sacred cow, when you were teaching? And can you provide any insight on if that has changed When, when stories like this come out? If you're a public school teacher in Illinois, what's the conversation in the teacher's lounge?
1: Well, to be fair, I was actually a Catholic school teacher. So I um, was never in the public school teacher's lounge. But I can actually tell you um, a sort of funny thing about this. I think of all of the stuff I've ever written about. And because of my sort of political proclivities, I tend to write about relatively controversial things in education. I think the system needs to change. And that tends to be uh, a subject of controversy. There is nothing that has evoked sort of hatred and response like talking about pensions. I mean, um, we were just talking before we started filming. I thought the everyone should go onto the Show Me Institute's YouTube channel and see Jacobs responding to the comments on his toll um, roads because toll roads is another one of these. I remember for years whenever the Show Me Institute would write about the soccer stadium in St. Louis, for whatever reason, that brought just like insanely angry people out of the woodwork. But for me, it was pensions. Um, and some work that I had done with Show Me Institute years ago with James Sholes, who was then at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, and, and has been affiliated with the Show Me Institute as well. Um, we went like viral on Facebook, all these uh, teacher groups that were trying to shut down. We were just trying to, we had this crazy idea that if we were going to talk about changing the pension system, we should maybe survey teachers and ask them how they would like their pensions to change. And um, some of the sort of alphabet soup Groups got a hold of that and started all these Facebook things, and it went nuts. And it like ended up members of my family saw like through their own Facebook webs, like, "Hey, what are you doing, man?" And I had to talk to any number of people. So pensions, for whatever reason, I think part of it, I think what David mentioned is exactly right that, that there are people who have very concentrated benefits. They want the pension system to work a certain way. They lobby for it. And, and so they muddy the waters around so many things. Like, for example, whenever we're talking about changing pensions, we're talking about changing pensions for new teachers or for new municipal employees or others. Very rarely do we talk about actually changing any benefits that... Uh, Folks might receive. Now, there's been some talk about sort of cost of living adjustments and others, but by and large, we're not talking about existing people. We're talking about what would happen for new folks, but that's never brought up. So, whenever we would talk about reforming pensions, we would have retired folks say, How I can't, you know, I can't believe you would cut my pension or any of those. Like, whoa, that's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about reforming new things, but it is a Really, really, really hot button issue. Um, and um, that makes sort of talking about uh, reforming it uh, pretty nasty at times.
0: All right, moving on to a topic which um, draws uh, no negative attention or reactions from anyone, corporate tax rates. So, Jacob, uh, we just celebrated Missouri's first Clean Energy Week, and uh, you wrote a couple things up, showmeinstitute.org, and one of them was looking at corporate tax hikes. There's a lot of discussion in Washington right now with the infrastructure bills and the soft infrastructure bills being thrown around. One of the pay-fors is we're going to raise corporate taxes, and people say that's just taxes on corporations. You had a different take on it. What was
3: it? Right. Well, one thing to keep in mind is that corporate taxes have spillover spillover effects. So these companies that then have to pay more taxes end up passing those costs along to their customers, no matter what industry they're in. And, and electric utility industry is no different. Uh, from 2008 to 2017, the average Missouri household or business electric bill rose 29%, even after inflation, which was the second highest in the country over that period of time, but then right around 2017, you had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which cut corporate tax rates from 35% to 21%, and Missouri's large investor-owned utilities started cutting, uh, started cutting customers' rates because they then had you know, their their rates cut as well, and in in 2018 alone. Missouri customers of those big four utilities saved over $159 million. So for the first time in a decade, their electric rates went down specifically because of a corporate tax rate decrease. And, of course, you can then flip that around and imagine the opposite. If corporate tax rates go back up, guess what? Your electric bills are probably going to go back up too.
0: And, David, you have a lot of experience with this particular issue when it comes to the special taxing districts and tiffs and you hear all the time people disregard maybe the potential negative downstream impacts so that uh yeah we're giving these tax credits away or uh we're giving this TIF money away but it's not really going to impact people uh in an everyday basis what, what do you have to say in situations like this where uh we're talking about spending trillions and trillions of dollars and the hand wave pay-fors um don't people don't understand that they really will have, have impacts. What do you have to say to that?
2: Well, I'd say there's there's no such thing as a, a free lunch, and there, there never has been, and there, there never will be. And look, in, in the state of Missouri, people cash in hundreds of millions of dollars of tax credits every year. Some of them may be issued the prior year. Some of them may be issued five years before or so on. And that's money that's tax money that's collected from people now that's just given away and doesn't provide any, any public benefit. It's... In the short it's just somebody who, it's usually done by somebody who didn't actually do the thing that it was even given for in the first place, somebody who bought the tax credit for 90 cents on the dollar or 85 cents on the dollar, whatever it was worth on the market. So it's just a trading scheme, and the banks make a lot of money being those middlemen for those tax credits. But it's just, it is real money. I mean, TIF money is real money. It's uncollected future money that other people have to make up. Tax credits are real money. That's money that taken from taxpayers, given away to to certain people who bought the tax credits that don't provide a service at that time. So it's it's all it's all real money. The three and a half trillion dollar infrastructure package is not going to cost zero dollars, as the Biden administration said. It's going to cost three and a half billion trillion dollars. Excuse me, three and a half trillion. Uh, they can say that it's not due to new taxes or whatever. It's not going to add to the national debt, and that may well be true. But don't say just because it's not going to add to the debt that it's not going to cost any money. And there's the famous story on that of when they wanted to build the the first the St. Louis's Downtown Convention Center, uh, initially called the Cervantes Convention Center, around 1980, when the then mayor, of Shamel, was trying to convince a group of grizzled veteran wily aldermen, that this, why they needed to build this convention center. And it, too, had was going to be paid for with special taxes and tax credits and all this circle of things. And according to the story I've heard multiple times from very reliable sources, Mayor Shamel said to this grizzled, wily, experienced, smart group of aldermen that building this convention center wasn't going to cost anything. And one alderman, Alderman Red Villa, who'd been around a long time, looked at him and said, Are you telling me you really are you really saying it's not gonna cost anything? And Mayor Shama looked at him and said, Yes, this convention center isn't gonna cost us anything. And Alderman Villa said, Well why don't we just build two of them then? Because he knew how absurd the idea that it wasn't gonna cost anything is. And it's that same thing that you're gonna hear in Webster Groves that the TIF for that thing isn't going to cost the taxpayers anything. You're hearing it with Hotel Bravo in uh Kansas City Star columnist who wrote, "Why? how could anybody oppose the Hotel Bravo Tiff? It doesn't cost the taxpayers anything. Well, these statements are, are preposterous and often, oftentimes being sold by people who have an active interest in the deal. And any time taxpayers hear at any level of government that a new service or a new function, as justified as it may be in some cases, when they hear it's not going to cost them anything, you should immediately know that you're being probably sold a bill of goods there.
0: And Jacob, you had another piece up about maybe some capacity issues that uh, might hold Missouri back and um,
3: our electric production. Kind of walk us through that, if you would. Sure. So electricity has to run on transmission wires. It gets, gets the electricity from where it's generated to where it's needed, but these wires can only carry so much electricity at one time. Too much of it, you're going to fry the wires and just have a damaged piece uh, of metal sitting out in the field. And the problem for Missouri is that there isn't enough room on the transmission wires that we have right now to carry all the electricity generated today, let alone making room for future projects. And specifically, this is a problem in northern Missouri, which is one of the most, it's called congested, one of the most congested parts in the Midwest for electric transmission. And more electricity will be needed to continue economic development. Cities need electricity to grow. it's it's the juice that basically flows through everything uh, in the economy right now. So you need it to grow and you need it to incorporate any any of the exciting new technology with energy resources such as small nuclear reactors or more distributed generation. And the unfortunate thing about not having enough transmission, is that there's enough already-funded, ready-to-go energy products uh, and energy projects in the Midwest to power millions of homes and businesses? It's ready to go, but due to the lack of transmission capacity, uh, many of them just can't get built, and they end up falling out of the project queue. We're we're just missing out on lots of electricity that's ready to go. So building more electricity would, or building more electric transmission. Would be a big win in preparing for future growth and taking advantage uh, of projects that are already ready to go.
0: And so, does increasing transmit? Does that fall to the electric company? Are we talking
3: about a state project here? What? Who? Who's got to pay for this? There's a mysterious middleman. Uh, it's the grid operator called a regional transmission organization. So they they're they're regulated by the federal government, but they don't necessarily answer to the states in which they operate, and they don't. They're technically nonprofits, but they're the ones who oversee uh, the grid operation. So they're the ones who say, you know, we, we, we need more transmission, I don't know, somewhere in northern Missouri or somewhere from Iowa to Missouri because there's just a need to carry more electricity. And they're the ones who uh, declare the need for the projects. But unfortunately, they are essentially playing word games with some project classifications, and they're allowing these monopolized utilities to rack up high bills to, to pay for these projects when they don't need to be. If they would just open, open these building projects up to a competitive bidding process, uh, they could save a lot of money just by having other companies give their input on how this line should be constructed.
0: So a through line here, competition, good. More or less, yeah. All right. uh, David. So the CEO of the greater st. Louis Inc gave a talk to some regional leaders recently and said st. Louis were just on the precipice of prominence what
2: are your thoughts well I I hope he, I hope he's right uh, yeah it was the the precipice of, of greatness in the the 21st century and I I very much hope he's right uh, it, that certainly remains to be seen uh, but I have a lot of criticisms of the way that the new greater st louis inc which was created uh, a little over a year ago by uh, the merger of various other organizations how that's operating right now and and it's almost panglossian in its uh in its outlook here as to while he's downtown talking about how we're on the precipice of greatness and and going to a last two weeks ago they went to a a committee hearing that was sort of focused on crime in St. Louis and St. Louis issues and, and didn't address crime at all. And I just, if you're not going to address crime, then all this talk about business growth is just, it's just delusions. I mean, we set St. Louis and Kansas City both set homicide records, one in pure number and one in rate right, last year. And while the homicide rates might be down a little bit in 2021, they're still incredibly high we had somebody murdered in broad daylight a few blocks from here in the west end on on Tuesday we had a woman th- thrown out of a building <laughs> downtown uh a couple days ago barely survived somehow i uh, can't i can't even count the number of shootings we've had in the the poor parts of north st louis and elsewhere uh that barely get barely get covered they're so common and that's a problem in and of itself and 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 I would t- take it, I would give the Greater St. Louis Inc. more leeway as they were just giving a speech to the Municipal League Conference if if this was just sort of their exception and they were giving sort of a rosy, optimistic outlook, but but they were in the legislature each year or this past session actually working for true things that will help business growth in the state of Missouri. Less regulation, low taxes, improved public services related to business, but they spend most of their time in Jefferson City, testifying on more on left wing progressive political causes that appeal to the 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 staff of Greater St. Louis Inc. like Medicaid expansion and very, and other even less connected to business left wing causes, and they don't seem to be very active in promoting the actual environment for business growth in the the Missouri or St. Louis that they should be. I know they got a lot of criticism with their plan again online air quotes with the word plan for how to grow St. Louis uh, several months ago they released in the spring actually which was all focused almost entirely on to the extent it had a focus at all on on improving the urban core and that's great I mean we work in the city of St. Louis I love the city of St. Louis but if you're having businesses in St. Charles and Franklin and Jefferson County and members in St. Louis County and all over and you produce a plan that's Almost entirely focused on the city of St. Louis, when you're supposed to be a regional group, don't be surprised when many members of that regional group aren't too enthused about your uh, your 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 plan that's not very regional in its outlook and poorly and poorly executed as it seems to be doing. So I don't think that Greater St. Louis Inc. is is doing much to talk about and. Well, I'd love to have St. Louis on the precipice of greatness and Kansas City and Springfield on the precipice of, of greatness too, I don't see how. I don't see that this sort of the inevitable top-heavy, top-down, let's do the big projects that we can all show up for and claim credit for, that's, that's not going to do it. We've been trying to do that for decades and decades, and that seemed to be what they're always focused on, and that's not going to work. How, how we're going to turn our urban areas around is by individual entrepreneurs, individual homeowners building their communities, like Soulard and Lafayette Square, and and I'm sure very similar cities and communities in Kansas City as well, doing one small project at a time, one homeowner, one one small entrepreneur at a time, and let's we need to move away from this idea of of the the big plan because that's just failed.
0: Well, and I think that criticism is levied a lot about the St. Louis region being very protective of their own little pockets. And Mike, I think we see that a lot in education where we talk about whether it's Kansas City or St. Louis area schools and someone in Clayton or Ladue, even though they have, you know, failing schools four miles away as the crow flies, they say, no, what are you talking about? Our schools are fine. And there's no push behind kind of regional improvement.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just tough. So many of these Problems have developed over a long period of time for myriad different reasons, and so um, sort of as David was talking about, the easy thing to do is to give a splashy speech or to build some big thing and and sort of act like that's going to be sufficient to deal with all of the things that have shaped that that make St. Louis the way it look the way it looks and Kansas City look the way that it looks over the course of the last hundred years, um, and No one gets up and says, like, we just want to do the basic blocking and tackling, right? Like, we want to fill potholes and have safer streets. And and yeah, from my neck of the woods, have good schools, right? And the types of stuff that has to be done to have good schools is really, really boring. I mean, there's no great splashy speech about trying to improve instructional quality and trying to manage district bureaucracy and trying to make sure that you can have enough bus drivers and like all of that stuff. Like, there's nothing really eye-catching about that. That. But that's what sort of that slow, steady progress is the stuff that actually makes stuff get better. And so um, I think I probably share David's skepticism. Um, I would love nothing more than for, for um, St. Louis and Kansas City to be these uh, great world class cities on the precipice of great or to, to cross over the precipice into greatness. But I'm, I'm dubious that that's going to happen.
2: To some extent, there is there is one solution in the city of St. Louis, and that is to have a, a, proc- a circuit attorney who actually prosecutes and convicts criminals. And we just don't have that at all in the city of St. Louis. I mean, the the office is in shambles. And that's, that's a perfectly accurate, factually accurate term. I mean, the office is not succeeding at any level in prosecuting violent criminals or low-level criminals who, who may not deserve a serious punishment but they might deserve some type of of punishment and they're getting nothing the i mean kim gardner is the attorney general i'm excuse excuse me as the circuit as the circuit attorney in the city of st louis is is just doing an absolutely appallingly awful job in managing her office and everybody knows it and it needs to be said more more and more because until you get a prosecutor or circuit attorney and prosecutor in the city of St. Louis who actually addresses it to some extent, which we had. All the prior circuit attorneys in the city of St. Louis were fine prosecutors who did a good job in a difficult situation. But she's just terrible. And that is that is the problem right right now. All
1: right. And you know what I, I think I was gonna say, I think the story in Kansas City is a slightly different one. And I think it's interesting doing kind of comparing and contrasting between Kansas City and St. Louis. I think one of the problems in Kansas City is that Kansas City and the sort of civic leaders of Kansas City and sort of entrepreneurs and other folks that are there have a story that they want to tell about Kansas City. That Kansas City is a city on the rise, right? That its best days are um, ahead of it and that it's all this growth. And if you look at all of the stuff that's happening in Kansas City's downtown in mean, a lot of places, and again, as, as you know, someone who lived. Uh, various parts of my 36 years um, in that city. I agree. There's been really cool development that's taken place. There have been shifts in populations. We had a huge sort of expansion of folks. Now people do want to move back into the city and some neighborhoods are being revitalized. I think a lot of really cool stuff is happening there. But there are some little inconvenient parts to that story, right? Violent crime is one of them. Educational quality is another one. The kind of cronyism around economic development and all of that stuff is another one. And I think, and whether you're at the newspaper or whether you're on television or whether you're in city hall or in one of these development groups, all of that stuff is just like inconvenient. So it's just, yeah, that's a problem, but it's a problem over there or it's a problem with that group or it's like not as bad as people say. Or And so I think that that prevents the sort of populace of of kansas city from really wrapping their arms around that issue um around the issue of crime but then also a lot of these other thorny issues around education all of those things it's inconvenient to the story that kansas city wants to tell about itself and therefore it's not told in its full detail
0: well unfortunately i think we will be talking about this issue several more times in the weeks to come uh moving to wrap up jacob what are you keeping tabs on over the next week
3: There are some interesting pilot programs in the infrastructure bills uh, that are being considered. So whether or not those bills pass, I think there are some interesting things in there that Missouri could consider on a state level. And maybe this can serve as a springboard for legislators to take notice. David.
2: Two public hearings in Webster Groves in October on the Douglas Hill TIF proposal, uh, October 5th before the city council and then October 27th. Uh, before the TIF commission for this just terrible, uh, 35 to 40 million dollar TIF subsidy, which includes eminent domain for private property for private purposes, I thought we'd move beyond that in Missouri, but it's back in Webster Groves, and at the same time, carefully following Kansas City, where uh, next year the ho- next week, excuse me, the Hotel Bravo uh, TIF will be should be up for a vote again, and hoping that gets defeated as the TIF commission. Recommended a few years back.
0: And Mike, what are you keeping tabs on? I'm keeping tabs on there's been
1: in Kansas City, there's been a bunch of debate and discussion around contracting around the new airport that's being built that seems to have thrown the city council into disarray. And it's not like entirely clear to me that just before we started talking, um, Mayor Lucas tweeted out a series of kind of cryptic tweets mentioning some city council members and possible associations that they have. And it was hard for me to make heads or tails up. So I'm going to have to wait and sort of see um, more writing about it to see what's going on. But I, w- I want to know what's happening there because it seems like it could, it could border on salacious. Uh, and so I, I want to know how that shakes out. It's on the precipice of salacious. There we go. Absolutely.
0: All right. As always, plenty more at showmeinstitute.org. We have several events coming up, one in Kansas City next week, October 7th, one in Springfield the 13th. Uh, all the information at showmeinstitute.org slash events.
2: And check, and check out our new newsletter online at showmeinstitute.org.
0: Jacob, David, Mike, thank you very much.